Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rock In 1989, my family decided to go see a movie together, and... I was outvoted as to what movie to go see, so we went and saw a film that I didn't expect to like, but I really did, When Harry Met Sally. While I enjoyed it, my mom and sisters loved it, and they could not stop talking about the film afterwards. And one thing in particular that they really liked was the soundtrack. The soundtrack was jazzy. Music that I liked, but I was not as excited about it as they were. For months afterwards, they would be talking about the singer who provided a lot of the music for the film, Harry Connick Jr. No one in my family had ever heard of Harry Connick Jr. before. It's as if a floodgate had been opened and suddenly Harry Connick Jr. came rolling in and that's all we were hearing about. He was in the news, he was on TV, he was being interviewed, and I would say that almost everyone in my family was smitten from my mom to suddenly my grandmother who hadn't even seen the movie, but she liked what she saw on TV. Now, I had started working at a video store in the mall, Suncoast, which is partnered with Sam Goody, which was right across the way from us. So, when Christmas came around that year, I had a great idea. Or at least, I thought it was a great idea at the time. I was going to get every member of my family the soundtrack to When Harry Met Sally. So I went over, used my discount, bought four cassettes of the soundtrack, and that Christmas, I gave every member of my family it as a gift. Now, much like a parent, who buys their young child a drum kit, I didn't really think this through. Because while I might have thought that the soundtrack was good, having to listen to it from multiple people all the time in every venue that we had a cassette player started to drive me mad. It would take almost a year, I would say next Christmas, before my family wasn't listening to this at least once a week. And so for many years, I could not tolerate hearing this soundtrack. It drove me crazy. Which is a shame because I think much like the movie, it's delightful, well put together, and enjoyable. When you buy someone a gift, you really should think, is this something they want? But after this, I started thinking, how does this gift affect me? Which maybe isn't the best way to approach gift giving, but for your own sanity, it might be something you should consider. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the film that featured this soundtrack, When Harry Met Sally. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera, We'll talk about the plot, its release, its reception, Metagirl's back with a top five list, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
When Harry Met Sally is a 1989 romantic comedy. It was written by Nora Ephron and directed by Rob Reiner. And it stars Billy Crystal as Harry and Meg Ryan as Sally. Now I'm going to jump in with the plot right away. And I have a UA home video release of the film. It's part of their contemporary classics line. My original copy was a Orion home video release, which I don't have anymore. That one had been a blue box. This one is a kind of pinkish box. And we'll just read the description from the back. Brimming over with style, intelligence, and flashing wit, Rolling Stone, this splendid and irresistible Los Angeles Times film from director Rob Reiner, the American president, is one of the best-loved romantic comedies of all time. Featuring dazzling performances from Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal, Carrie Fisher, and Bruno Kirby, exceptional music from Harry Connick Jr., and an Oscar-nominated screenplay by Nora Ephron, When Harry Met Sally is an explosively funny, Newsweek, commentary on friendships, courtships, and other hardships of the modern age. Will sex ruin a perfect relationship between a man and a woman? That's what Harry, Crystal, and Sally, Ryan, debate during their travels from Chicago to New York. And 11 years and 2,000 miles later, they're still no closer to finding the answer. Although, they've helped each other through breakups, breakdowns, Mr. Wrongs, and miscalculations. They've never ventured past their companionship to discover the love that's right in front of them. Will these two best friends ever accept that they're meant for each other? Or will they continue to deny the attraction that existed since the first moment when Harry met Sally? 1989, approximate running time, 1 hour, 36 minutes. That is quite a wordy description on that box. Pretty amazing. And they use the pull quotes right in the description, which I guess comes from a later released video that they could put this together a little bit more because I doubt the original release had such a layered description. The big call out is from the Hollywood reporter who said, Tender, amazing, and magnificent. An acutely perceptive and comically radiant love story. This film does not have a huge cast, so I'm going to jump right in and tell you about who's in the film. You have Billy Crystal as Harry Burns. He was not the original choice for the film, although he was really good friends with the director of the film. And there are moments from his and Rob Reiner, the director's life, in the film. But they did offer it to other people who I guess were bigger names at the time. And that includes Bill Murray, Jeff Bridges, Harrison Ford, Tom Hanks, Richard Dreyfus, Michael Keaton, and Albert Brooks. That is a lot of people to have passed on this film before it got to Billy Crystal, who I think does a great job, but he can't help but think of an alternate world where any of these other people were in it. If I were to choose the one that I would find the most interesting, it would probably be either Bill Murray or Michael Keaton playing the role. Maybe Jeff Bridges. Yeah, maybe Jeff Bridges would do something very unusual with this film. But it landed in the hands of Billy Crystal. William Edward Crystal was born in 1948. He's a actor, comedian, filmmaker. He started his career in television. His big break was as Jody Dallas on the ABC sitcom Soap. And then he would become a cast member of Saturday Night Live before breaking big in Hollywood with films in the 80s like Running Scared, Throw Mama from the Train, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, City Slickers, Analyze This, and the list goes on and on. As a voice actor, most people will know him as the voice of Mike Wazowski from Monsters, Inc. He would also go on to host the Oscars nine times starting in 1990, and then most recently he hosted it in 2012. He's a very well-known and award-winning actor. So who is his partner in this film? It is Meg Ryan, 
as Sally Albright. And much like the Harry role, she was not the first choice for the role. The director of the film, Rob Reiner, wanted Susan Day. Susan Day, you might remember from The Partridge Family and L.A. Law. She was going to play Sally. She turned it down. Then they approached Molly Ringwald, Elizabeth McGovern, and Elizabeth Perkins. Meg Ryan heard about the role and started pushing hard for it. When Ringwald, who had been up for the role, had to decline, they gave Ryan the shot and she landed it. Interestingly, when they would make a stage version of the movie in London, Molly Ringwald would play Sally. Meg Ryan, born Margaret Mary Emily Ann Hyra, was born in 1961. She is a actor who started in television in the early 80s, lending a role in the soap opera As the World Turns in 1982. She would then go on to have some supporting roles in films like Top Gun, and then her big break, one that landed her the title, and they said this for years, of America's Sweetheart, was When Harry Met Sally, which would lead to her being in things like Sleepless in Seattle, Joe vs. the Volcano, You've Got Mail, Kate and Leopold, lots of romantic comedies. She is probably the queen of romantic comedies from that era. But she would do other films, like the very dramatic When a Man Loves a Woman, Courage Under Fire, Proof of Life. Despite all of this work, she has never been nominated for an Academy Award. Seems weird. There are two main supporting roles in this film, the best friends, who are a couple who wind up together. Carrie Fisher would play Sally's best friend, Marie. Carrie Frances Fisher, born in 1956 passed away in 2016. Actor and writer, of course, she was Princess Leia, will always be Princess Leia. She would play that role in multiple films, but she also worked in other films like Hannah and Her Sisters, Under the Rainbow, The Blues Brothers, Soap Dish, and many others. She was also a very talented writer and script doctor, working on novels like Postcards from the Edge, which would also become an award-winning screenplay. Very talented, and she will be remembered by generations of people. Bruno Kirby played Jess, Harry's best friend. Bruno Kirby was born in 1949, passed away in 2016. Great character actor, worked in things like Good Morning Vietnam, The Godfather Part Two, Donnie Brasco, City Slickers, This is Spinal Tap. A really talented, fun actor. Passed away way too young. I think he had a lot more roles in him. I also had one of my favorite lines from this film, Baby Fishmouth. The film was written by Nora Ephron. She was born in 1941, passed away in 2012, best known for romantic comedy films. She was a multiple Academy Award nominee for films like Silkwood, When Harry Met Sally, and Sleepless in Seattle. In addition to writing, she would also step behind the camera, directing films like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail that paired together the romantic comedy powerhouse of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. So the three of them together would often make romantic comedy gold. But she didn't direct this film. This one was directed by Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner was born in 1947. He's an actor and filmmaker. As an actor, you will probably remember him as Michael Meathead Stivic on the CBS sitcom All in the Family, which ran from 71 to 79. He would win two Emmy Awards for that. He is the son of the very famous Carl Reiner, who is himself a very well-known director, writer, actor, and comedian. While Reiner was a very talented actor. It was when he stepped behind the camera that he really started to shine. And this started with the heavy metal mockumentary, This is Spinal Tap. But it wouldn't stop there. He would direct films like The Princess Bride, Stand By Me, A Few Good Men, and others. Now, I don't normally mention the cinematographer on a film, but I was watching the film after reading this great article about 
the cinematography in When Harry Met Sally and how the director, Reiner, and the cinematographer, Barry Sonnenfeld, who himself is a pretty big deal, would use the framing of the camera to show closeness of the characters. So in addition to the just really attractive cinematography that shows New York City in various seasons, stunning at times, they also did a really good job of capturing the closeness or the distance between Harry and Sally over the years. And if you haven't watched the film in a while and you need a new reason to, that's a pretty good one. It's fun to watch the details like that when you're doing a rewatch. Barry Sonnenfeld is no slouch when it comes to filmmaking. He started out as a cinematographer working with the Coen brothers and then would go on to direct his own films like The Addams Family and its sequel. He would do Get Shorty. And then his big hits were the Men in Black trilogy. Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan in a comedy about love. Someone is staring at you in personal growth. About life. I'm gonna be 40! <laughs> when? In eight years. And fresh produce. Great. A new Rob Reiner comedy. I'll roll down the window. When Harry Met Sally. Rated R starts Wednesday at select theaters. The idea for the film started at a lunch at the Russian Tea Room in New York City, where Nora Ephron, Rob Reiner, and producer Andy Scheinman had met. And Reiner was pitching this idea for a film. Ephron didn't like it. And they decided, though, that it would be worth continuing to talk. And they had another meeting. And they talked about Scheinman and Reiner living their lives as single men. According to Reiner, I was in the middle of my single life. I'd been divorced for a while. I'd been out a number of times. All these disastrous, confusing relationships, one after another. So when they would meet again, Reiner said that it would be a really interesting idea to do a film about a man and a woman who become friends, and then the challenges of being friends. Efron thought the idea was good and that she would work on it, and Reiner shopped it and found a studio that would produce it. Efron started to interview Reiner and Scheinman about their lives, using their experiences as the basis for Harry, and Sally would be based on Efron and her friends that she had talked to over the years. Now, during the process... Efron wanted material, and she would interview people who worked at the production company she worked at. Some of those interviews would appear in the film as interludes, although they would not be the original people. They would take the dialogue, rewrite it, and then reshoot it with actors. For further dialogue, they went to the relationship that Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal had in real life. And an example of something pulled right from their lives that would appear in the film Reiner and Crystal would often talk on the phone while watching television with each other at night, and that appears directly in the film. And I believe the dialogue is probably lifted right from one of their conversations. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Ooh, best last line of a movie ever. <sighs> I'm definitely coming down with something. Probably a 24 hour tumor they're going around. You don't have a tumor. How do you know? If you're so worried, go see a doctor. No, he'll just tell me it's nothing. Will you be able to sleep? If not, I'll be okay. What'll you do? I'll stay up and moan. Maybe I should practice now. I love this sort of detail that gets talked about is how do you come up with a title for the film? Now, Efron wanted to call the film How They Met, but that wasn't decided upon. And so they had contests trying to figure it out and... Some of the choices that were out there were Just Friends, Boy Meets Girl, Blue Moon, 
Words of Love, Harry, This is Sally, It Had to Be You, and Playing Melancholy Baby. When Harry Met Sally is pretty good. Efron, though, not a fan. When she had been interviewed later on, she said if she could go back and fix one thing, it would be the title. Now, as I said, they were trying to explore the idea of a man and a woman being friends and not having a romantic relationship. And that was the original ending for the film. They would have just remained friends and not pursued a romantic relationship. But Reiner, making a film, realized people might find that a little unsatisfying and it wouldn't have been a real romantic comedy if they had kept the original. So they changed it and audiences liked the new version better. Crystal and Ryan sort of disagree about the core question of the film. Can men and women just be friends? Ryan would say yes. She has lots of platonic male friends. Crystal, on the other hand, does not agree. He said, I'm a little bit more optimistic than Harry, but I think it is difficult. Men basically act like stray dogs in front of a supermarket. I do have platonic women friends, but not best, best, best friends. So I think they got the right actors for the roles. The film is shot in a bunch of locations, but New York City is the primary location for the film. I remember when I started working in New York City, it might have been this film and the location of the Puck Building, which is at 295 West Lafayette Street, where I worked for six months, seven months at one point, that made me aware that New York is just filled with shooting locations that I could recognize. So I would often show up to work early in the city, taking the bus from New Jersey, and I would walk to work through different locations, trying to spot things that looked familiar to me and try to figure out where I had seen them before. I was usually pretty horrible at it. Everything started to look familiar after a while, but just the walks themselves became a lot of fun. Now, I can't talk about When Harry Met Sally without talking about the deli scene. This is the I'll have what she's having scene. This was filmed at the famous Katz's Deli in Manhattan. They actually kept a sign above so you could sit in the location where it was shot. And the woman who says the line, I'll have what she's having, is actually Carl Reiner's mom, Estelle Reiner, who passed away in 2008 at age 94. It is a very memorable line in a very memorable scene. When I saw this with my mom and sisters, it was quite embarrassing to sit there and watch this, and yet everybody was laughing. So a very funny scene and extremely memorable. I'll have what she's having has been nominated as the best line by many organizations. In fact, when Reiner died, the New York Times said that she is the woman who delivered one of the most memorably funny lines in movie history. Now, When Harry Met Sally is not the only romantic comedy out there. There have been many romantic comedies, but which ones should you be watching now? What are the five best? Well, here's Metagirl with the top five romantic comedies. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl bringing you the top five movies from our favorite slice of life genre, the romantic comedy. At number five is 2001's Bridget Jones's Diary. Bridget Jones is a successful single living in London who starts a diary to take control of her problematic personal life. She meets two men, Mark Darcy and Daniel Cleaver, and navigates the nuances of dating while engaging in a journey of self-discovery. As she writes, Bridget begins to confront her insecurities and self-sabotaging behaviors, discovering that the most important thing is to follow her heart. 
Number four is a Gen X favorite, Singles from 1992. Singles is a heartwarming and relatable portrayal of modern love set in 90s Seattle with the city's vibrant grunge music scene practically its own character in the film. The movie tracks a group of young friends as they navigate the ups and downs of dating and relationships. We root for the compelling characters through their blind dates and one-night stands as they each search for their own version of happily ever after. Number three is the 1988 classic Coming to America. Prince Akeem, the wealthy and royal heir to the throne of the fictional African nation of Zamunda, sets out on a journey to find a woman who will love him for who he is, not for his wealth or status. Disguising himself as a poor man, he travels to Queens, New York, and experiences life as a commoner. As he looks for love, he encounters a cast of quirky characters as he adapts to life in the big city. At last, he falls in love with an intelligent, strong-willed woman who is completely unaware of his royal identity. Will his true identity be revealed before he can win the heart of his one true love? At number two is 2005's The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Andy is a sweet but socially awkward man who, despite being in his 40s, has never had a romantic or sexual relationship. Determined to finally lose his virginity, he seeks the help of his friends and co-workers who steer him through sundry social scenes designed to teach him what it means to be a man. Along his journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance, he falls for Trish, a strong and independent businesswoman. As his relationship with Trish evolves, Andy learns that love and being true to oneself are more important than any physical milestone and finds happiness on his own terms. And the number one romantic comedy is, you guessed it, the iconic 1989 film, When Harry Met Sally. This quintessential romantic comedy explores but never quite resolves the question, can men and women ever just be friends? The story follows Harry and Sally from the time they meet in Chicago just before sharing a cross-country drive through 12 years of chance encounters in New York City via which they become close friends. Eventually, their platonic pairing leads to a rocky romance with challenges stemming from their divergent dispositions and approaches to love that must be navigated before an enduring connection can be confirmed. Fortunately, the couple can rely on their friends for comfort and sometimes questionable advice. And there you have it, the Retroist's top 5 romantic comedies. Until next time, list fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. So, in addition to being a hit film, the film also had a hit soundtrack. And it started when the drummer for Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Bobby Colombi, who is a friend of Rob Reiner, suggested he talk to Harry Connick Jr. about the soundtrack. And Colombi gave Reiner a tape of Connick. And he was struck with how much Connick sounded like Frank Sinatra. And he would be hired to work on the soundtrack with Connick singing big band standards with orchestrations by Mark Shaman. This soundtrack would deliver Connick's first Grammy, which he would win for Best Jazz Male Vocal Performance, which might have been one of the earliest memories I have of watching the Grammys in our house. Suddenly, Harry Connick Jr. is up there, and my family's interested in the Grammys. There would be other people singing on the soundtrack, but the big Connick Shaman songs are Where or When, It Had to Be You, I Could Write a Book, and But Not For Me. But there would be other artists on the soundtrack, like Ray Charles, Frank Sinatra, Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald, and Bing Crosby. The soundtrack went to number one 
on the Billboard traditional jazz chart and would break into the top 50 on the Billboard 200. It was a big enough hit that it could sustain a tour and Connick would tour the US and Canada in support of the album. Eventually, it would go on to reach double platinum, meaning there were over 2 million copies sold in the US. Four of those were from me, so you're welcome, Harry Connick Jr. I'm sure I'm the one who pushed it right over the top. Mark Shaman was born in 1959. He is a composer and lyricist working in television, film, and theater. He was born in Newark, New Jersey, and raised in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. He would leave school at 16 to start working in New York theaters. He had a big break working on Saturday Night Live as an arranger and writer. He would actually appear on camera in the sketch The Sweeney Sisters, playing the pianist Skip St. Thomas. And Saturday Night Live is where he met Billy Crystal. Another big star he worked with was Bette Midler. His film credits include When Harry Met Sally, Beaches, City Slickers, The Addams Family, Sister Act, Sleepless in Seattle, A Few Good Men, Patch Adams, South Park, Team America, World Police, Mary Poppins Returns, and it just continues from there. The other half of this music duo is Harry Connick Jr. Joseph Harry Fowler Connick Jr. was born in 1967. He is a singer, composer, actor, overall big record seller with over 28 million albums sold worldwide. In the U.S. alone, he has sold over 16 million, making him one of the best-selling male artists in the U.S. He has had seven top 20 U.S. albums and 10 number one jazz albums, which put him at the top of the jazz album charts. While When Harry Met Sally would be a big hit for him, his actual best-selling album is a Christmas album, When My Heart Finds Christmas from 1993. And while that is Pretty distant from When Harry Met Sally. I think he was still rolling from the momentum he had from When Harry Met Sally. After When Harry Met Sally, he would soon make the jump to the big screen, appearing in films like Memphis Belle, Copycat, and Independence Day. But his career would continue with films like Hope Floats and the great animated film The Iron Giant. When Harry Met Sally. No man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. Well, I guess we're not going to be friends then. Guess not. When Harry met Sally. You look like a normal person, but actually you are the angel of death. When Harry met Sally. We did it. They did it. It's a Showtime exclusive you won't see on HBO or Cinemax. Your basic nightmare. Billy Crystal. Meg Ryan. When Harry met Sally. Premiering July 1st only on Showtime. Now the film itself would get released in a small amount of theaters. This is called the platform technique, where you pick just a few cities, release it, and then you let word of mouth take over. And if it starts to work, you release it in more and more screens as time goes on. It was released on 41 screens and yet brought in just about $1.1 million. Now, it is not alone in this way of releasing. It is, in fact, the second highest grossing opening weekend for a film on fewer than 50 screens. The number one would be 1977 Star Wars. Billy Crystal himself was pretty convinced that the film wasn't going to do well because it was up against some pretty big films, namely Batman and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. But it turns out people wanted a romantic comedy that summer, and it would open nationwide on July 21st, grossing $8.8 million its first weekend on 775 screens. It would later expand to 1,174 screens, and would gross $92.8 million in North America. That's pretty good for a $16 million budget. So I went and dug up, and I went and printed out the original July 12th release 
to see what was playing that weekend in my neck of the woods. I also printed out the big release. And this July 12th release was a Wednesday, but it was up against some pretty big things that week. So at the sixplex in my town, you had Lethal Weapon on two screens, Batman on two screens, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Dead Poet Society. And then at the eightplex, you had Ghostbusters 2, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Karate Kid 3, Field of Dreams, Great Balls of Fire, Do the Right Thing, Weekend at Bernie's, and then finally, When Harry Met Sally. So that's a pretty big week to jump in there and do well. And I'm really surprised that my theater was one of the select theaters that showed it. I don't think this is when my family saw it. I think we saw it on the wider release after some word of mouth had spread. I certainly would have been much more excited over Indiana Jones, Karate Kid, Ghostbusters, Weekend at Bernie's, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Lethal Weapon. Now on July 21st, we're seeing a big release and some money being spent because the biggest ad for movies in my local paper is for When Harry Met Sally. So what is playing this week is very similar. You had When Harry Met Sally, you have License to Kill on two screens, UHF and Peter Pan being added. And then back at the sixplex, you still had Lethal Weapon on two screens, Batman on two screens, Dead Poet Society, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Looking at the size of the ads, while When Harry Met Sally's pretty big, Peter Pan is just as big. This re-release was a big push. And a smaller one for Batman and UHF, everything gets a little bit smaller. Standing Alone is a license to kill, the Timothy Dalton, James Bond film ad, which is really small. We had this great discount theater called The Galaxy that was a couple of towns over that I liked to go to because you could get real cheap tickets there if my family would take me. And they were showing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Ghostbusters. So I would have liked to have just parked myself there if given the opportunity and watched those two again and again. One of the films that I would learn about a little bit later didn't even register at the time as a film that I would see is the movie Shag, which has Phoebe Cates and Bridget Fonda in it. It's a film set in the 60s, sort of a coming-of-age film, according to the tagline. On a summer weekend in 1963, four girlfriends made memories that would last a lifetime. I bring that up because I remember Shag on VHS because I was still working at a video store, and people wanted the original VHS release because it had the original music, and then they did a second VHS release that had different music in it from the one that was in the theatrical release, and people were not happy. And I found these people remarkably passionate for a film that even 10 years after was not even on my radar. So in the ad in the paper, you could see the positivity being shown here. Newsweek said it was explosively funny. Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. Time Magazine called it a comic valentine to love and friendship. Gene Shalit, who is always positive, said it was a buoyant comedy, contains what may be the year's single most uproarious scene. And I imagine that's the deadly scene in the film. So pretty positive. Although I would like to point out that my local film guy, Lou Luminick, in his movie talk section, gave the film only two and a half stars, calling it too cute for comfort. And his summation was, when Harry Met Sally is this summer's date movie, well-made and entertaining, but hardly brilliant. While I didn't always agree with Lou, he was consistent and fair, and he didn't just give out stars to every film. All right, so that's always fun to look at. Overall, though, it was a very well-reviewed film, with people heaping praise on the actors and the direction. Roger Ebert would call Reiner one of Hollywood's very best directors of comedy, and that the film was most conventional in terms 
of structure and the way it fulfills our expectations, but what makes it special, apart from the Efron screenplay, is the chemistry between Crystal and Ryan. And really, Crystal and Ryan get the majority of positive praise about the film. And rightfully so. Their charisma seems to be at the height of its power. They get along really well. They play off each other superbly. Even though these people were not the first choice to play these roles, they're lucky to have landed them. The film would get nominated for a ton of awards and would win some. It would win two American Comedy Awards, one for Ryan and one for Crystal. It would win an ASCAP Film and Television Music Award for Mark Shaman. And the British Academy Film Awards would give Nora Ephron the Best Screenplay Award. Sadly, though, no Golden Globe wins, no Oscar wins. I think it's such a well-constructed screenplay that it's a crime that Nora Ephron did not win. The film is also recognized by the American Film Institute in many lists over the years. So if you are often doing a search for 100 best this, 100 best that, if it's movies with songs in it, if it's movies that are quotable, if it's romantic comedies, this film will often show up not just in the top 100, but often in the top 10. The film was released on VHS in late 1989, only a couple of months after it had been released, and it was a pretty big hit. I was working at the video store at the time. It would then get a re-release in 94 as part of the Billy Crystal collection. And then there's the version I read from earlier, the 1997 Contemporary Classics Edition. In 2001, it would get a DVD release, which includes an audio commentary by Reiner and a making-of documentary that has Efron, Crystal, Ryan, and Reiner. It also has deleted scenes and a music video with Harry Connick Jr. in it. A collector's edition DVD would be released in 2008 with new audio commentary from Efron, Crystal, and Reiner, more deleted scenes, and new featurettes. If you want to see it in HD, the Blu-ray release was put out in 2011, and it contains all of that 2008 material on it. So if you want a higher quality HD release of the film, go with the Blu-ray, and you'll get all those great featurettes. When Harry Met Sally is very well constructed, and that is because the people in front of and behind the camera were all super talented and seemed to really believe in the project. Maybe it was because there were some personal stakes in it. Maybe it was because one of them was an actor who was trying to forward their career. Whatever the case, the end result is remarkable. The film comes together and is not only funny, but could be sad and poignant. It has dramatic elements in it, but the balance is done so well, you sometimes forget that it's a drama. Now, I'm not sure what the best romantic comedy of all time is, but When Harry Met Sally has to be in that list, whatever it is, how big it is. And even if you can't identify with the characters, it's a great snapshot of late 80s New York that's beautifully filmed and wonderfully written and directed. So do yourself a favor and rewatch or watch it for the first time. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you like what you heard, you should follow Metagirl on Twitter at M-A-T-A-G-R-R-L. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. 
If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by giving the show a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show. It's really the five-star reviews that help the show in any way, so if you do that, it would really be appreciated. If you'd like to support the show further, you can drop by Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. Patrons of the show get bonus tracks, bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, a great online retro community filled with amazing retro people. And this week, I'd like to thank Tammy Turner for supporting the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. But Baby Fishmouth is sweeping the nation. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.